Our scripture reading today is from Obadiah. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. We'll be reading verses 1 through 4. Hear now God's Word. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, you who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the, to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle... And though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says Jehovah. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. There is something extra satisfying about watching an arrogant man fall. And seeing the cool person crash. It feels like justice. In my junior high, we had a real bully. I say that because nowadays we have a lot of fake bullies. But that's another sermon for another day. We had a real bully, and his last name was Heller. An appropriate name. He was a couple of years older than the others. Uh, Had been held back a couple of grades. In fact, he had a full mustache and beard in junior high, and he was uh, several inches taller and a big strapping guy, and no one messed with Heller. That is until the new kid from Michigan showed up in the middle of the year, and uh, he was a clean-cut young guy, and we were sitting in shop class, and we sat on stools, and our coach, who was teaching shop class, had stepped out of the room, and Heller walked by, Jerry was the other guy's name, and with his elbow hit him on the shoulder and knocked him off the stool to the ground. Very calmly, Jerry stood up, walked over to Heller, and punched him in the nose and broke his nose. About the time the coach walked back in. And the coach said, Heller, get something and clean that up. The king is dead. Long live the king. He didn't say that, but we did. That was the end of that. Another memorable case occurred outside of Shreveport. As I was working on this sermon, uh, the Lord just brought this back to my memory. On May the 27th, I did not remember that part. I remember the story, but I didn't remember when, but I looked it up. May the 27th, 1987, the headlines from the Associated Press read as follows. The headline was, Quote, here I am, man reportedly says before a bolt strikes him dead. A maverick attorney standing in the stern of his new boat raised his hand skyward and declared, Here I am, just before a lightning bolt struck him dead, authorities said. Graves Thomas, a 40-year-old Shreveport attorney, died of electrocution on Memorial Day. Forensic pathologist Dr. George McCormick said Tuesday, quote, There was no thunder, lightning, or sign of lightning before the killer bolt struck, 
said Dan Russell, Jr., one of the four friends in the boat with Thomas on Lake Bistineau, east of here on Monday. We've all seen these kinds of stories play out over and over and over. It started with Adam and Eve wanting to be as God. The Philistines taunted the armies of Israel, and Nebuchadnezzar bragged until God turned him into a four-footed animal. Or as Proverbs 16 says, pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. And then, of course, we read of the very opposite of this in Philippians chapter 2. Verses 5 through 11, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In these opening verses of Obadiah, we see the same familiar story unfold as the proud Edomites reveal their hearts by asking arrogantly this rhetorical question, who will bring me down to the ground? Remember, this is the story of twin brothers, Jacob and Esau, and their descendants. It's their story playing out in history. Children always represent their parents. And Jacob and Esau were representing theirs. Jacob had his own problems. The book of Obadiah is not dealing with that question. God, God was also dealing with that issue uh, in regard to Israel, the Israelites, and particularly um, uh, Judah. But right now he's dealing with the descendants of Esau, and they're arrogant and so forth. And so we need to remember this story. Well, there's an answer for the Edomites' questions. Question, who will bring me down to the ground? And it comes from the one who can bring us all down. Every last one of us. So this book opens with a simple declaration. And we're going to kind of look at each of these first four verses here and unpack this a little bit. The book opens with a simple declaration that this is the vision of Obadiah. Literally in Hebrew, it's vision Obadiah. In other words, this is a revelation, a revealing of Yahweh, of God, revealing Himself, and ultimately to God's people. Not just to Obadiah, but ultimately to God's people. Uh, Isaiah and Nahum open with the same words. The name Obadiah simply means worshiper of God. Or worshiper of the Lord. That's all we know about this prophet, and that's really all we need to know. His next words are... Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. And so God is about to say something, 
And as Isaiah puts it, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So we have in the Bible repeatedly, and we see this particularly in the prophets over and over, thus saith the Lord. God is speaking. This is not the prophet speaking for himself. He is simply the messenger. Obadiah uses both the word Adoniah, which means Lord or Master, and Yahweh, which is God's name. It's used several times in this short book. And so this is not a vague or local reference to a God or a local deity. This is the God of Israel and the one with whom actual authority exists, and he can therefore execute his judgment and bring about deliverance, both. He can bring judgment and deliverance, and as a result, his kingship will be both experienced and ultimately acknowledged. And so this book is addressed to Edom. I, quote, God says, I will make you small. But it seems to have been written for the exiled Israelites who are in distress. They're being oppressed by the Edomites. They're, they're concerned. They don't know what's going on. They feel all this pressure and persecution. And so God is writing about Edom, uh, but he's writing for the Israelites. Judah's supposed to think of it like, you know, you ever watch Shakespeare plays? And there's always somebody behind the curtain. There's a conversation going on. I remember this in Hamlet more than once where uh, there's a conversation going on in a big room and lo and behold, somebody is snuck in or they're around the corner and they're behind a curtain and they hear what the plot is. And that's kind of what we have going here. The prophet is delivering this message to Israel, and, but we have this conversation that God is having talking about Edom. And they get to overhear what God is saying. And so they had been devastated by the cruelty and the betrayal of the Edomites. Remember, the descendants of Esau, descendants of of, uh, Jacob, and now Esau is betraying Jacob, as it were. So you have that scene. It appears that the Israelites are defeated and crushed both by Babylon and by the Edomites. And the Edomites are strutting their stuff and boasting of their invincibility. You've never strutted your stuff, have you? Picked on someone, have you? To show how tough you are and how you have power over others. That's what the Edomites were doing. You know, the cool guy or the girl that likes to show everybody that they're above everyone else. That's what the Edomites were doing. Well, the Edomites seemed very secure in their high mountains and they had enriched themselves at Judah's expense. So what we hope, uh, what is, so, so what is our hope, the Israelites are thinking? They, they've got the upper hand. Now, here they are. They have the strategic position in the mountains. They have control over us. They're more powerful than us. So we feel hopeless. What assurance does, do God's people have that they're going to be delivered? And so these parenthetical lines give them assurance in verse 1. We have heard a report from Yahweh. 
And a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us rise up against her for battle. We heard a report that God has told the nations to rise up against Edom. God's doing something behind the scenes. And now God's pulling the curtain back to let them see. He's letting them know uh, that he has already begun to execute his judgment. Everything has been set in motion. And so in the background, God is stirring up the nations to ultimately take military action against Edom. And so the news has been spreading. There's a report and a rumor something big is about to happen. Now the nations, plural, are mentioned here four times in this book. Not just Edom. And so in verse 1, a messenger has been sent among the nations. Verse 2, I will make you, Edom, small among the nations. Verse 15, for the day of Yahweh is upon the nation. Uh, the day of Yahweh is upon the nations is near. And then in, again in verse 16, all the nations drink continually. And so Obadiah is making it clear that Yahweh is not, again, just some local deity, but rather He is the sovereign over all the nations, not just Judah, not just the Israelites. He can send messengers to the nations. He can take actions that are seen by the nations. He can bring judgment upon the nations. And the nations can be the instruments, the spectators, or even the objects of Yahweh's judgment. And so it turns out that while the Edomites thought that they had many allies and that Judah had none, they forgot that Judah had Yahweh as their ally. If God be for us, who can be against us? Or as Luther put it regarding Satan, one little word shall fell him. Now, the message that had gone out among the nations was this, Arise and let us rise up against her, that is, against Edom, for battle. God was about to take action against the Edomites, and he was going to use the surrounding nations as his instruments. He is the commander-in-chief. Sometimes we get a preview of what is about to happen. I've told some of you this story many years ago when I was in Shreveport. I actually had a motorcycle. And uh, that was before we had our first baby, by the way. It didn't last long. Um, and I was coming home from work. I, I worked about 10 miles away from home. It was late one night. And there was a new highway that had just opened. It was actually Burt Coons, for those of you familiar with Shreveport. And at 11 o'clock night, there was zero traffic. And so I... Uh, uh, in fact, there were some barricades still up, but I took that route home. And as I was I pulled up to a stoplight, there were two cars sitting at a red light, revving their motors, and they saw me coming up. And they, one of them rolled his window down and motioned for me to go past them. So the light changed, turned green, and I just went around them and went ahead. And, and the road kind of slightly went up, and there's a railroad track there. Little, you know, it's up on a hill. And as I came up over the hill, sitting right there in the medium was a cop. And I knew instantly what was about to happen. 
they were going to use that stoplight as their signal to race, and they were going to be racing to the railroad track. That was the finish line, and there, sitting waiting for them, was a surprise. So I pulled up about 50 yards and pulled over to the side of the road to watch. (laughs) And it was great. (laughs) Sometimes God gives his people that kind of preview. In fact, he often does. If we read our Bibles, we can find out how the story ends. We get to see ahead of time, oh, I know how this ends. And so sure enough, God is now turns to address the Edomites directly. Sorry, in verse 2, 2, 3, and 4. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says, says Yahweh. Now, do you think the Edomites believed that? Or do you think that it went in one ear and out the other? We should never confuse the truth with what people believe or think. Those are two separate things. Sometimes they're the same. But one, one's not necessarily the other. Many people don't believe in Jesus or hell. But that has no impact on the truth. David Field points out that, quote, many of the statements in Obadiah are, in the original Hebrew, in the perfect tense, which is often used to report what has happened in the past. This is not because the judgment of Edomites has already happened, but because Obadiah is using a standard way of speaking called the prophetic perfect. I love this. It's a way of expressing the fact that 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 which has been predicted is so sure and certain that it is virtually accomplished already. It is rather like one boxer muttering to the other, you're dead, or you've lost as they enter the ring before the fight has even begun. Or as I like to put it, God's prophetic word is as certain as yesterday's news. As a nation, Edom is about to come unwound. They're going to lose territory, they're going to lose people, they're going to lose security, and they're going to lose face. They're going to become small and insignificant. The proud Edomites are going to be humiliated. In fact, when Yahweh says that they'll be greatly despised, He is saying, literally, they're going to be regarded with contempt. The Apostle Paul writes of another day of the Lord, which describes a very similar situation. Again, in the Bible we see patterns. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2-3, For you yourselves know perfectly, and that here we are again, we get to see ahead of time, you know You Thessalonians, you know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So throughout history, this story of the proud 
being brought down by God repeats itself over and over and over. It's true for nations. History is littered with such nations. It's true for churches. And it's true for individuals. This is why the stories of the Bible are recorded and preserved for us. God humbled the Egyptians with his plagues. He humbled the Israelites when they became proud and disobedient. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Paul says, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. Now there's one constant with the proud, and the Proverbs call him the, the fool. So the proud or the fool, use whichever term you like. There's one constant is he's very pleased with himself. Edom thought that they had many reasons to feel secure. Uh, commentator Douglas Stewart comments, in addition to Selah, Edom's main cities of Teman and uh, Basra, as well as the na- uh, nascent fortress city of Petra near Selah, were located in nearly impenetrable high rock formations reached only by narrow vulnerable gorges in each instance. And so that's the geography again. Perhaps they were also pleased with their wealth. Remember, they're a great trade center. All these trade routes go through there. Uh, Maybe they were proud about their alliances with all their friends and nations. Maybe their wisdom. We read later in this book about their wise men and their mighty men in verse 9. So verse 6, 7, 8, 9. Wealth, alliances, wisdom, mighty men. They had a lot of things that they were proud about. But Yahweh is about to pull the rug out from under them. They're soon going to be exposed. Or again, as the Apostle Paul warns, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. You see, pride is first and foremost a self-deceiver. The proud person and the proud nation always thinks more highly of themselves than they ought, and this, mead, this leads, uh, misleads them, I should say, to many miscalculations. You ever heard the phrase, he's too smart by half? He thought he had it all figured out, but he left a few things out, and he overlooked a few things. Well, that's the Edomites, and that's us, too, when we're proud. In fact, the Hebrew word that's translated pride in verse 3 is sometimes translated as presumption, insolence, or arrogance. Now, you might think that some kinds of pride can remain hidden, but the text tells us that it was the pride that was in the heart of the Edomites that was the issue. David Field put it this way, I really like this, he said, What is in the heart is known to God. Our thoughts and feelings are like things that we, quote, say inside us. But God has excellent hearing. What we say in our hearts, He hears loud and clear. So the Edomites start out by being deceived by pride, the pride of their own hearts, and then... They're deceived by their allies. You'll remember uh, that it was the pride of wanting to be as God that led Eve to Eve's deception. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. What was the problem? 
She wanted to be like God. And so she listened to his lies and she fell for it. In verse 3 of Obadiah, the word rock is the same Hebrew word for the name of a major Edomite town, Selah, which is probably intended as a play on words. And when Obadiah refers to them as those whose habitation is high, this is both literal and figurative. Yes, they are literally high, but also it's saying something about their pride, their attitude. They lived in lofty places and they thought of themselves in lofty terms, thinking very highly of themselves. Moreover, the cockiness of pride is evident. And if any of you have ever had a rooster, you know what that means. Um, He says, you say in your hearts, who will bring me down to the ground? And this should remind us of many stories in the Bible, the one that popped into my mind as very evident is uh, Goliath in the valley of Elah. First Samuel 17. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come, come out to line up for battle? Why, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. And if he's able to fight with me and kill me, Then we will be your servants, but if I prevail against him and kill him, you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight. Do you think Goliath was a little overconfident? Was he in a high place, literally and figuratively? What about the Assyrians in the 8th and 9th centuries? We read about them in Scripture. And what about Nebuchadnezzar? Again, a great story here. All these things we should think about as we read through Obadiah and think about other times where this story repeats itself. So, we read about Nebuchadnezzar. All, the, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the, 12, of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. So he's a king, right? He's in the palace. And the king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. I'm something. I'm somebody. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar To you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. I think this is the prophetic perfect here. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men and gives it to whomever He chooses. And that very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar, he was driven from men and he ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. This Edomite's question in Obadiah 4 is portrayed as an unanswerable Rhetorical question, who shall bring me down to the ground? But God takes their challenge and he replies. Verse 4, though you ascend as high as an eagle, 
And though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares Yahweh. You see, it doesn't really matter how high you go. The Tower of Babel comes to mind. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. How did that story end? Scattered abroad across the face of the earth? The bigger they are, the harder they fall, or the higher they are, the further they fall. Listen to how Isaiah describes the fall of Lucifer. In Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Later, Isaiah says that God... What, think about that. Here's the Edomites up there with the stars. What, is, what does Isaiah say? God measured the heavens, the universe, in a span. That's the distance from the tip of your thumb to the tip of your little finger. That's what God does to the universe. Psalm 147 makes a similar point. He counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifts... See, here's the context. See, God's got all that. Then it says, verse 6, The Lord lifts up the humble and He casts the wicked down to the ground. So Edomites, there's the answer to your question. Who's going to take you to the ground? The one who has named all the stars. That's the one. And it'll be easy. Easy peasy. God has an easy button like Staples or Office Depot, whoever it is. He just does that and it's done. Matthew Henry put it this way. If men will dare to challenge omnipotence, their challenge shall be taken up. And so, these first four verses are punctuated with this. From there I will bring you down, says Yahweh. So, a couple of simple ways to remember this in the Bible and for us. The way up, excuse me, the way down is up. You want to end up on the ground? Then start climbing. See if you can exalt yourself. But the opposite is true. The way up is down. 1 Peter 5, 5-6, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, here's the conclusion. It's a real simple premise. So premise 1, God resists the proud. Premise 2, He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, here's the conclusion. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You want to be exalted? Then start out on the ground. Start out bowing the knee to him. Not my will, but your will be done. You're the Lord, not me. You're the Almighty, not me. 
I'm dependent on you. That's the way up. Let's pray. We are humbled, Father, by our ignorance and the audacity of our sinful pride. There is nothing in man that is more apt that man is more apt to be proud of, for knowledge puffs up, and yet our greatest knowledge is but vanity. We have infinitely more ignorance than we do knowledge. Let us therefore remember in all of our thoughts of you, O God, that you are God and that we are men, and therefore we ought to be humble, and as weak creatures we should lie low before you. We acknowledge that whatever true knowledge we possess, we first received it by the revelation of your knowledge, and that only as we have come to think your thoughts after you do we obtain any knowledge at all. Thy word is truth. Amen. As we prepare to come to the Lord's table, this is the place where we are reminded, again, who we are, and that means we should be brought low. We should be humble as we approach this table. Now, humble doesn't mean that we're beaten up or crushed. It means that we are put in our place. We are put in a place of dependence upon our loving Heavenly Father so that we're no longer self-sufficient. No longer proud. I want to just read very quickly several short verses that the Bible, what the Bible has to say primarily about pride or the proud. And, um, and some of these will mention humility as well. Proverbs 6, six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. And the first one is a proud look. Amos 6, the Lord Yahweh is sworn by himself. The Lord Yahweh of hosts says, I abhor the pride of Jacob and I hate his palaces. Therefore, I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. James 4, 6, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do you want grace or do you want opposition? Here's how to get it. Here's how to get either of those. 1 Peter 5, 5, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Isaiah 2, 12, for Yahweh of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty, and against everyone who is lifted up, that he may be abased. Isaiah 23, Yahweh of hosts has planned it. To defile the pride of all beauty, to despise all the honored of the earth. Second Samuel 22, you shall save the humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty, that you may bring them down. Psalm 31, O oh, love Yahweh, all you his saints, for Yahweh preserves the faithful and repays fully the proud person. Daniel 4, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of Heaven, for all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Luke 1, he has shown strength. This is from the Magnificat, right? He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imaginations of their heart. Psalm 18, for you will save the humble people but will bring down haughty looks. Psalm 119, you rebuked the proud and cursed 
who stray from your commandments. Psalm 94, rise up, O judge of the earth, render punishment to the proud. Proverbs 15, Yahweh will destroy the house of the proud and he will establish the boundary of the widow. Isaiah 10, therefore it shall come to pass when the Lord has performed all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem that he will say, quote, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his haughty looks. And then finally, Jeremiah 13, 9, thus says Yahweh, in this manner, I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. And so as we come here, that should serve as both a warning and an encouragement. Because there is both in these verses. There's a warning to the proud and promise to the humble. So let us humble ourselves as we come to the Lord and receive his good gift. We implore the constant assistance of the Holy Spirit to subdue our temptations and corruptions and restrain all inordinate desires to make us a delight in your to delight in your ways and to replenish our souls with all Christian graces and virtues. As we examine our lives, may we find in ourselves a greater growth and steadfastness in the practice of our faith, greater striving daily after against sin and moving on from grace to grace and from virtue to virtue, may we live and die in your favor and obedience and be received into your eternal glorious kingdom through the merits and mediation of your Son, Jesus Christ, our blessed Savior and Redeemer. Bless now our feast, our fellowship, and our rest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Amen. Amen.